0: Time <laughs> Road Trip Radio.
1: Welcome to Road Trip Radio, broadcasting from an undisclosed location under Canada.
2: This is a show that has something for every member of your family celebrating a birthday, whether they're turning 10, 16, 33, or 150.
1: Today is all about the Yukon, the Western Territory of Canada's North, right between the Northwest Territories and Alaska.
3: Get to know the Yukon.
1: With about 37,000 people, the Yukon is the least populated province or territory in the country. More people go to a Blue Jays game than live in the Yukon.
2: Dawson City, Yukon is home to several haunted sites, including Mary's Rooms, Commissioner's House, the Palace Grand Theatre, and the New Westminster Hotel. So if you're a retired ghost looking for an active paranormal social scene, Maybe move to the Yukon.
1: Whitehorse is Canada's driest city. It is also the lip balm capital of Canada.
2: The Yukon is home to Canada's highest mountain, Mount Logan, at just under 6,000 meters. So what they lack in population, they make up for in mountain meters.
1: And that's just a little bit about the place we call the Yukon. Also on today's show, we chill out with the animals of the Ice Age. We're going to meet a family who went way off the grid. We take another quiz from the Quizmaster.
2: And as always, our roving reporter, Peter Oldring, is on the ground in the Yukon. We're not exactly sure what he's getting up to in the Yukon, but uh, we'll check in with him anyway. Peter, are you there? Yes, of course I am, Pat, and greetings uh, from the north, uh, from the Yukon, and more specifically, Dawson City. Well, hello to you. What uh, do you have planned uh, for yourself up there in the Yukon?
4: Right, of course. Well, uh, I guess the bigger question is, what does the Yukon have planned for me? (laughs) Uh, But as as a lot of your listeners and and my listeners and even listeners who aren't listening know, uh, I'm a pretty rough and tumble guy. I wear a six o'clock shadow most of the year, and I even have some hair on my chest. And so I thought, while I'm here uh, in the Yukon, it might be a great opportunity uh, to figure out what life would be like as an 1890s prospector. And so with that in mind, I'm going gold rushing.
2: Oh, excellent. So you're going to go pan for gold, are you?
4: Yes, I'm going to pan for it. I'm going to dig for it. I'm going to search for it. I'm going to mine for it. I might even uh, pull out a couple of gold fillings if that opens any doors for me here, but that's absolutely what I'm doing. I've got the gold bug.
2: Well, uh, good luck to you, Peter, and we'll check in later in the program to see how uh, your panning for gold is going.
4: Absolutely. We'll see how that pans out. Yar.
2: You take care. Out on the road.
1: Road trip radio.
2: Hi, I'm Tim Farker,
3: and this is Quizmaster. Quizmaster, celebrating Canada's sesquicentennial birthday, one quiz at a time. This week highlighting the Yukon. Greetings from bootless bills, an abandoned gold mine here in the Yukon. It's named after an American prospector by the name of William Buchanan, who came into infamy after he shot at a Royal Canadian mounted policeman. Now when they returned to arrest him, the only thing that they did find were his boots. And it is said that his ghost now who you, call
5: calling a ghost? Who you call a
3: ghost. Haunts the mine. On a more serious note, let's discuss an area of the Yukon that is twenty-six thousand square miles of untouched wilderness and the ancestral lands of the Nacho Nayakdan First Nations tribe. What is the name of this area? Here's a hint. It is the blank watershed. <music> the answer is the Peel Watershed. And in a 2014 court decision, it was decided that only 20% of this area would be open to mining and the other 80% would be left for conservation. Do you know what a Percival is? Well, it's a hairpiece that was worn by the character Rumpelstiltskin. Which brings us to our next quiz, which I like to call Rumpelstiltskin's wig. (music) So, I have three words that are specific to the Yukon. It will be up to you to choose the correct definition for each word. Nice boots.
5: Nice boots.
3: The first one is poke. P-O-K-E, poke. Is poke fool's gold? A knife, a prospector's satchel, or a practical joke? Next is Chichaco, C H E E C H A K O, Chichaco. Is Chichaco a raven spirit, a newcomer to the gold game in the Yukon, or a wood gnome? And skookum, S K O O K U M. Skookum, an indigenous word meaning confused, strong, or excited. If you're a prospector and you know what you're doing, you definitely will have a poke on hand because that is one of the places you will put your gold. A poke is a prospector's satchel. chi a person who is new to the Yukon and basically a novice in the gold game. That's
5: you, mister. That's you, That's you mister.
3: And, and skookum, a, uh, an indigenous word meaning strong. I'm Tim Parker. Thanks very much for joining me. And we'll see you next time on Quizmaster.
2: It's now time for the Yukon Community Calendar, brought to you by these crazy kids. A warning, only one of these events is real. It's up to you to decide which one it is.
6: In celebration of Canada 150, the Whitehorse Flag Relay Celebration will feature 200 Canada Game athletes and takes place on July 21st in Whitehorse.
1: Later this summer, it's Pajama Day on all city buses.
6: Napfest takes place all summer long in Yukon. Contestants are invited to nap for as long as they can. The longest napper wins an all-expenses-paid trip to Napville.
2: And that's the Road Trip Radio Community Calendar brought to you by these crazy community kids. Tonight, on Road Trip Radio, get ready for a whole new radio experience.
1: Let's do this.
2: It's the show that hits hard.
1: I'm warning you, I'm only asking the tough questions tonight. And
2: takes no prisoners.
1: No, you shut up.
2: And always keeps you on your toes.
1: Look out, there's someone behind you.
2: This is the show that will knock your socks off.
1: I caught a 20-pound bass on the weekend. It'll
2: have you asking the question.
1: Space travel has come a long way. What
2: the heck is this show even about?
1: I have got to try those pants on.
2: The Question Mark with Susan Topps.
1: Everybody, get in
2: the pool! Critics are calling The Question Mark confusing. Oh, I'm pretty sure this is a wart. Pointless.
1: I'm blue, da ba dee ba da
2: And downright awful <laughs> radio.
1: No, balloons are actually terrifying. Uh, oh no, uh, I just realized the mics haven't been on.
2: The Question Mark with Susan Topps. If you can figure it out, you'll be the first.
1: Road Trip Radio. And now, In Conversation.
2: When it comes to the Ice Age, nobody knows more than Grant Zazula, the Yukon paleontologist. He went to school for a long time to become a paleontologist and has been working in Whitehorse for the past decade. He's on Road Trip Radio today to tell us why gold miners are hanging out with woolly mammoths. Grant, welcome to Road Trip Radio.
7: Hi there, how you doing?
2: Doing very well. So first off, what is a paleontologist?
7: paleontologist is a scientist that runs around and studies anything that's ancient that died long ago.
2: Okay, so you've been uh, working up in Whitehorse for the past decade. What exactly do you find up in the Yukon?
7: In the world of paleontology, the Yukon is actually really famous for Ice Age animals. So all these beasts like woolly mammoths and giant sloths and giant beavers. Okay,
2: hold on a second. I don't think that I've ever
7: heard of a giant beaver before.
2: (laughs) Are you just making that
7: up? No, actually, it's one of the coolest. If you've never seen like a sculpture or a painting of a giant beaver, uh, you're really missing out. They're incredible. They're a beaver the size of a black bear. How can
2: a beaver be the size of a black bear? <laughs>
7: well, you know, during the, the Ice Age, a lot of the animals just got absolutely huge, and beavers are, are one of them. They are almost six feet tall and, and huge teeth. They look like daggers.
2: So if a beaver is the size of a bear, how big was a bear?
7: just huge probably the most scary and intimidating one was called the giant short-faced bear this is a bear that's uh, about one and a half times the size of uh, a alaskan grizzly bear It stood on its hind legs it was almost 14 feet tall these are just, just massive, massive bears bear. and uh believe me if uh if i was living uh during the ice age and i was running around with a with a spear uh, i'd run i'd get out of there because man these are big big bears
2: well, I think if I was living during the Ice Age, I'd probably live for about five minutes.
7: <laughs> so uh,
2: it's your job to find these things as a paleontologist, but there's also stories of gold miners finding uh, bones from the Ice Age. Tell us a little bit about that.
7: Yeah, well, uh, paleontology in the Yukon has a, a long history that goes back to the, to the great gold rush of 1898, the famous Klondike. And uh, People descended on the Yukon, and uh, when they were out digging in the frozen ground in the hills looking to get rich off gold, they started encountering these frozen bones of Ice Age animals. It's because of these gold miners that are Moving all this ground, uh, trying to find gold, uh, uh, we find all these incredible fossils alongside them. And so what
2: did they do with these fossils uh, that they found during the gold rush? Did they just put them back?
7: Yeah, no, not, not quite. Over the, the last 100 years or so, you know, uh, collections of these Ice Age mammal bones have been amassed. So you can go to a museum in Paris and find Yukon bones that were collected 100 years ago. And,
2: and do you ever find uh, whole animals?
7: Yeah, that's uh, one of the spectacular things about uh, the permafrost in the north is that the ground is frozen, so it's like a deep freeze uh, all year. And and sometimes uh, animals that died during the Ice Age, they... They died uh, and got buried by by sand or silt really quickly, and their whole bodies got preserved.
2: So in all your years up in the Yukon, uh, what has the coolest bone that you've ever found?
7: There's so many strange animals that have lived in the Yukon and in the Arctic in the past. And, um, you know, I think still my favorite is, uh, and most people are shocked to hear about this, is... uh, is uh, Ice Age camel bones, strange Ice Age camels that kind of look like a giant llama. If you can imagine a llama, there's about three or four times the size of a llama. And, uh, yeah, just a really strange animal that lived up here during the Ice Age. And uh, that's probably my favorite.
2: You know, a reoccurring word that you keep using is giant. <laughs> Why were the animals so big back then?
7: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, a lot of people ask that because the mammoths are huge, the the bison are huge, Uh the bears are huge, but uh, it 's really speaking to the fact that the the environment was really productive. There was a lot of a lot of stuff for these animals to eat and uh, those incredibly cold uh, environments that are really dry actually can be highly productive there 's a lot of grass and lots of different types of little plants for animals to eat so uh, even though it seems like from our perspective that it was a really harsh environment to live in, it was probably a really good place if you were an animal that loved to eat grass, like a like a woolly mammoth.
2: So it's kind of a reminder to eat your vegetables. <laughs>
7: That's right. If you eat a lot of grass and little uh, tundra plants, you might grow giant too.
2: Now, uh, Grant, I'm not a paleontologist, but I have seen my share of Hollywood movies. <laughs> uh, there's no chance that these things come to life at night, do they?
7: Uh, well, um, I, I'm not obliged to say, but... Uh, you know, union lets me go home at work uh, from work at about five, so I never actually get to see what happens in the in the backyard at night. They they might be, and I just don't know about it.
2: Or you might just want to uh, put a GoPro on the fossils of that
7: giant beaver, yeah, and see what it does. Yeah.
2: Well, Grant, I want to thank you for being on uh, Road Trip Radio, and uh, keep up the good work, and we'll we'll come up and visit you sometime.
7: That sounds great. Thank you. Okay. See you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
2: To share your road trip adventures with us, head to the Road Trip Radio Facebook page.
1: Are you on Instagram? Tag us in some photos. We're at Road Trip Radio.
2: To see our website, head to roadtripradio.ca. The CA stands for Canada. If it was a dot com, it would be pronounced Commodore. We're back on Road Trip Radio. I am Pat Kelly, and I'm here with Caitlin Howden. And today, it's all about the Yukon.
1: And right now, it's time for the Yukon Weather Report. This evening, in Rock River, expect midnight sun at 14 degrees. In Dawson, radar is showing a mix of midnight clouds and midnight sun. In CarMax, expect some midnight wind. And in Teslin, bring your midnight umbrella, as midnight rain will eventually ease off to midnight sun. And finally, in Whitehorse, expect heavy northern lights. That's the weather for the Yukon on Road Trip Radio.
2: Well, thanks very much, Caitlin. It's now time to check in with our roving reporter, Peter Oldring, who is up in the Yukon, uh, trying his luck as a prospector. Pete, are you there?
4: Saying it's not fair. That, that was my nugget. She took it.
2: Pete, I'm just, are yes. you okay? Oh,
4: sorry, Pat. No, I'm fine. I'm safe. I'm just... Uh... Uh, coming to terms with uh, having one of my nuggets uh, stolen.
2: Oh, fabulous! So you See, did find okay. some gold then?
4: Well, I I believe I found uh, what was gold. I I had believed I was uh, in a remote part uh, uh, of a stream just outside of Dawson City, uh, only to discover that moments after arriving, a tour bus pulled in behind me. Uh, so there was fifty, sixty people uh, panning in the same remote creek that I I thought I was in privately, uh, when a an eight-year-old girl. Uh, a big 8. Uh, I would have thought 9. Her parents insisted she was 8, but I'm telling you, she was a broad-shouldered girl, long limbs, very quick, conniving. Uh, she came at me very quickly, and uh, I grabbed what I'm quite certain was uh, a gold nugget. It certainly had a sheen to it. Uh, she took it, uh, said na-na-boo-boo, boo, uh, splashed some water towards me, and uh, it just happened pretty quick.
2: I guess you hadn't staked your claim. It was more of a public claim. Please, anybody keep, could be uh, working please, that creek, I guess. Please huh?
4: please keep her back. Please keep her back. She splashed me. These are new suspenders.
2: Pete, anybody who knows anything about prospecting, I mean, you got to stick with it. It's a it's a patient game, and you've got to follow your gut. Maybe you move to another part of the creek and and see if that pans out for you.
4: Absolutely. I think that's the plan. I, I did have my suspicions that this might not have been a good place to japan for gold it's a creek literally just behind the parking lot of hudson's bay so it's not as remote as maybe i needed to go but uh, i certainly thank you for the tip pat
2: well good luck to you and uh, we'll check in with you a little bit later on in the program to see how the uh, the gold rush is going no, for you
4: you are oh then i'll tattle okay, good
2: luck pete yeah thanks pat
7: i'll tattle
2: Well, our next story comes to us from Frederick Blickert, who spoke to the family of a local filmmaker about their wilderness adventures living off the grid in the Yukon, depicted in the film All the Time in the World. Here is that story. To get the freedom of time again, we had to free ourselves from the structure of time and see what would happen.
8: In 2013, Yukon filmmaker Suzanne Crocker moved with her husband Gerard and their three kids into the Yukon wilderness. Sam, their oldest, was 10 at the time, Kate was eight, and Tess was just four. For nine months, the Crocker family lived with minimal technology outside of Dawson City. Suzanne documented the whole thing. I caught up with the Crocker kids at their permanent home in Dawson City. This is Kate, who's now 14 years old,
9: once we were there and we kind of just settled in, it was very nice. And we all, I think instantly, we all knew that it would be a great experience that we'd hold for the rest of our lives.
8: Do you remember any specific things that made you feel that way?
9: We had a big family bed in our loft. And so we would all sleep together in a nice family bed with all our pets. And it was very, it was a very loving and secure environment for me, especially. And I think all of the kids.
8: Sam is now 17, and he didn't know quite what to expect from being in his mom's film.
5: I think when it first came out, I was still not that much older than I was in the bush, and that, it was a little bit awkward for me. I think, especially because you basically held nothing back. It was completely purely yourself, as if no one was watching.
8: So it was. There were embarrassing moments looking back.
5: Kate definitely has some embarrassing moments. I know there's a little fiasco that went down there for a while. Kate, you look like you really agree
8: that it was embarrassing. What's your story?
9: As Sam said, we were purely ourselves. I didn't even know that it was going to be a movie that people were actually going to see. I thought mom was filming it as like a family film. I especially was seeing, I kept on getting embarrassed by the scene where I would marry Percy Jackson.
8: If you're unfamiliar, Percy Jackson is the hero of a series of children's novels, which was turned into a Hollywood film. We're gathered here on this most lovely day to celebrate the union of two like-minded individuals. I now declare Kate and Percy Jackson to be man and wife in dreams and dreams. How often do you get asked about the year that you spent out in the bush? Is there one question you're really sick of being asked?
9: I would say I still enjoy answering questions because even though there are quite a few questions that are the same, every now and again there'll be this one question from someone that's completely different and it's interesting to see how my family answers them differently from me. I used to play this game with myself where I'd see how many different ways I could answer the same question but still be truthful.
5: Do you ever get recognized when you're out in public, just from the film? Uh, In England, we were walking around with some relatives, and we noticed there was a catamaran at the pier with a Newfoundland flag on it. And my dad's from Newfoundland, so that pricked our interests. And it turns out that the uh, family decided to, they were both surgeons, and they decided to quit their job because they saw our film. And so they decided to do this adventure with their three little kids on the boat, and they sailed to England, and, and we met them there. All the time in the
8: world shows the Crocker family's closeness and sense of cooperation. But there are intense moments, too. Near the end of the movie, they have a close encounter with a black bear. Sam, give me the bear spray. Sam, give me a gun.
1: Go away, bear. Go on, get...
8: Take me back to that moment. What did that feel like?
9: Being the first person to kind of discover the bear was kind of right next to me. I was in a bit of shock, especially since I'd say out of all of us, I'm the most terrified of bears, even out of Tess who was four at the time. I remember playing outside with Tess and the bear was there. And I was like, Tess, we've got to go inside now. And Tess turns and sees the bear. And she's like, I want to stay with the bear. And I was like, no Tess, we have to go inside. And so I think we kind of speed walked slash run into the cabin and then I told mom, mom there's a bear outside. And so mom went and she grabbed her camera and went outside to film the bear.
8: Tess is now 11 and she remembers the bear encounter quite well.
6: Yeah, like Kate said, I didn't want to go inside because I was quite curious, but then Kate kind of pulled me inside so I was like, oh, fine. And then I remember her being really quite nervous. She was like whispering to me, they could die out there, they could (laughs) die out there. And I was just like, I was trying to like look out the window and see it and Kate was like
9: whispering nervously beside me.
8: As scary as it was, the crockers were well prepared and likely never in any real danger.
9: We always had the upper hand because even in the bear scene, we had a gun if it came to that, it wasn't like realistically the bear was going to kill us all.
8: Do you feel like your year living in the wilderness has changed your perspective about living in Dawson or living in a
5: city? Yeah, I think it's just kind of given me a more well-rounded experience of life. I definitely feel like I'm more well-rounded because of it.
8: How about you, Tess?
6: Just because of all the places we've traveled with the film, I, I've gotten like a lot of experiences that I think that if we hadn't gotten to the bush, I wouldn't have gotten.
8: Do you ever miss the cabin? Do you ever wish you could go back?
9: We actually do go back to the cabin quite often, usually at least once a summer. And that's amazing, also because once you're there in that space, it kind of feels like we never left.
5: Yeah, I definitely enjoy going back to the cabin. It's uh, definitely a lot more meaningful than just a normal camping trip.
9: Yeah.
6: So when we go and visit it, everybody always says that time goes faster when you're having fun. And usually that's the case. But once I'm there, it it feels like I'm there for like a year or nine months. It just seems to stretch on and on, which is really nice.
8: A lot of us talk about getting away from the fast pace of the city. The Crockers actually did it. It sounds like it was every bit as rewarding as you might hope.
2: To see more photos of the Crocker kids in the Yukon wilderness, check out Road Trip Radio on Instagram.
0: Road Trip Radio!
1: Yukon! It's now time for a Road Trip Radio Language Minute, where we explore the words and phrases you might come across while talking your way through the country. One of the legacies of the Yukon is a period of time known as the Gold Rush, when thousands of miners flocked into the area to try to find fortunes hidden in the ground. With the arrival of all these people came new words and expressions that are still in use in the Yukon today. For example, an inexperienced miner is called a Johnny Newcomb, and someone who has survived at least a year of mining in the Yukon is called a Sourdough Miner.
6: (laughs) At mines during the Gold Rush, they
9: called the camp cook a gut burglar. The sluice plant is the name of the machine that separates the gold from the dirt.
1: If someone yells, bonanza, that means they've just struck gold.
0: Bonanza!
1: Road Trip Radio is made possible with the support of our sponsors. Cool Ranch Deodorant, Sleep Country Dracula, and Egghead's Hard Boiled Eggery. Hey,
2: it's me, your stomach. We need to talk. You see, I'm hungry, and I know you're looking to save some money. So I've got a solution. Right now at Egghead's Hard-Boiled Eggery, you can get six delicious hard-boiled eggs, a stewed apricot, and a medium-hot chocolate for only $3.99. You heard me right. $3.99. That's a sweet deal for a small price. Plus, unlike other hard-boiled egg places, Egghead's Hard-Boiled Eggery uses only the freshest grade-A Canadian eggs, boiled in triple-filtered water, and peeled by hand. Never machines. That's 3 dollars for six hard-boiled eggs, a stewed apricot, and a medium-hot chocolate. Hey, you can thank me later. Uh, okay. Egghead's Hard-Boiled Eggery. We make stomachs happy. And kind of throw up.
6: You're listening to Road Trip Radio.
0: What you are about to hear is true. These events occurred a few years ago in the Canadian wilderness. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Last time on The Spaghetti Bandit. In a late winter storm, a friendly cottager named Bob discovered that his neighbor's cabin had been lived in for a prolonged period of time. The cabin reeked of body odor, and in the lower bunk, there appeared to be a body. I'm Grant Lawrence, and this is the story of the Spaghetti Bandit. Chapter 6. The Police. Bob carefully pulled the blankets back of the lower bunk. What he was certain was a body was in fact just more soiled clothing. He let out a sigh of uneasy relief and leaned back against the cupboards. Then he left to check out the rest of the empty residences that surrounded him on Mossy Point. When he arrived at his neighbor Candy's cabin, he slowly walked around the wraparound deck. Everything seemed okay, but he wanted to be sure. Just as he was about to peer through a crack in her curtains, the police launch entered the bay. He turned and walked back to his dock to meet them. If he had turned back at that moment and looked back at Candy's cabin, he might have noticed one of Candy's curtains parting ever so slightly. The RCMP officers, different than those involved in the burial cave stakeout, came ashore and looked around and inspected his neighbor's tiny cabin and the yellow kayak. It was pouring and the wind was howling and the cops took photos and wrote a soggy report. After about half an hour, one of them turned to Bob and yelled over the rain. Well, you can be rest assured he's gone now. What? replied Bob. This is his kayak right here. That means he's still here. I don't think so, said the other officer. You must have scared him off. He must have walked out. Walked out? Do you know where you are? You can't walk out of here. There's nothing back there. The only way out of here is by boat, and that is his boat. That means he's still going to be here someplace. He's long gone the first officer repeated as they began to climb back into the dry comfort of their police launch. Wait, are you at least going to take the kayak? No, you know what? Keep it for your troubles. Bob was stunned. Not only was the kayak evidence, it was likely stolen property from some other victimized cabin. Like the construction crew did months earlier, Bob left the kayak where it was and went inside his cabin for the night, alone, and creeped out that this phantom menace was still out there somewhere. At around 2 a.m., Bob woke from his light sleep with a start. Even over the roar of the gale, the sound was unmistakable. The Spaghetti Bandit was outside.
1: For the next installment of The Spaghetti Bandit, head to the PEI episode.
2: To start the story from the beginning, jump back to B.C.
1: brings us to the end of another episode of Road Trip Radio. Pat, I feel like we learned a lot about the Yukon. Yes,
2: we did, Caitlin. Uh, but before we go, I think it's time to check in with our, well, I'm not saying he's a gold digger, but he's certainly trying to be one today. Peter Aldring up in the Yukon, trying his luck as a prospector. Peter, are you there? Yes, Pat. How
4: are you? Uh, pleasure to join you uh, here from Dawson City and. In- beautiful yukon canada uh
2: so how did it go this afternoon you you sound in good spirits
4: i am in good spirits pat uh you know uh, as a matter of fact i'm standing right now outside of a spectacular eatery called ye Old dawson city saloon and family eatery it's a fantastic establishment been here for the last couple of hours Uh, spending all of the gold, which I struck it uh, here in uh, Dawson City.
2: Oh, congratulations. So you were able to find some gold in that stream of yours, were you?
4: Well, it wasn't in the stream. And and this is the interesting part. I I gave up on panning for gold in that stream. Uh, Simply uh, too many eight-year-olds. Things got too heated. Uh, So I went back to get into my car, which was parked in the Hudson's Bay parking lot, when I noticed a small shop adjacent to Hudson's Bay. Something glittered uh, in the window. I went over, and in fact, yes, it was gold. Uh, And I don't know if they knew what they had, because I bought a small container of this uh, glittering gold, uh, and it was just uh, simply a two-ounce container of gold, and I got it for $1.99. With that, I've actually been buying rounds of meals and uh, beverages for uh, families here at Ye old Dawson City Saloon and Family Eatery, uh, buying folks grilled cheeses, tomato soups, uh, uh, one table of blooming onions. They've had four so far and they're not slowing down. Peter,
2: I'm going to have to stop you there. I think you bought some glitter.
4: Uh, Yes, I did buy something that glitters, and everything that glitters, as they say, is gold.
2: Pete, that's not gold. You bought glitter. I, I I think you should go back into the saloon and put a, a pause on buying people meals. You're not rich.
4: But wait a minute. Are you sure? Because these are small disks with little holes it's, in each one of them. It's glitter. The you
2: bought glitter. Peter, stop buying people things. You're not rich. You did not find your fortune. Oh, my gosh. Are yeah. you serious? Yes, I'm serious.
4: Oh, it just makes you wonder how many prospectors have made the exact same mistake back in the 1890s. Uh, uh, pat are any of the producers around uh, any chance of uh, ponying up a little bit of money here no
2: no you're on your own pete uh, we've got to we've got to <sighs> say goodbye pete because we have to wrap up the program but uh, good luck sorting that out
4: does caitlin have a paypal account
2: she's uh shaking her head
4: which way up and down or left and right
2: left and right oh, all right you take care
4: uh, Yeah, okay i'll do my best here oh no there's
2: that eight-year-old again
4: she's having a sandwich i bought for them
2: Well, that's all the time we have for another episode of Road Trip Radio. We want to thank you for listening, and stay tuned all summer long.
1: We leave you now with the sound of a loon on a dune, crooning a tune at the moon. So beautiful.
2: Take care, everybody.
1: Bye.
4: Road Trip Radio has been made possible by the Government of Canada and is produced by Kelly and Kelly Creative and Sumo Audio. Research by Matt Masters, Janice Tufford, and Leslie Johnson. With contributions by Dave Shumka, Brian Short, Paul Tedeschini, Grant Lawrence, Jen Bohm, Naomi Sneekes, Matt Barham, Mike Belazo, Sandy Jobin-Bevins, and the Road Trip Radio kids from Arts Umbrella in Vancouver. Keep listening to Road Trip Radio, broadcasting 24 hours a day.